This podcast may contain graphic and or explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners, especially kids like me. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Real Life Podcast brought to you by the Thin Blue Line for Women. In this podcast, We open up and talk about real-life issues as they relate to first responders. It's raw, it's real, and it's about time. I'm Tamara, your host. Thanks for joining me. Don't forget, you can listen to The Real Life Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. The Real Life Podcast now has listeners in the following countries. Canada, Ireland, the UK, New Zealand, Saudi Arabia, Australia, Brazil, Germany, Lebanon, the Philippines, Taiwan, Vietnam, Guatemala, Argentina, South Africa, Israel, Sweden, Poland, Morocco, and the United States. I want to thank all my listeners from around the globe for listening. You're so awesome. Thanks. Hello there, and welcome to the Real Life Podcast. I have a special guest with me today. His name is Matt Demjansik. He is a retired law enforcement officer, a police chaplain, a PTSD advocate, and he specializes in peer support and wellness. So Matt, hello, and thank you so much for being with me today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So can you tell me and the listeners just a little bit about yourself and your law enforcement career? Okay. I'm a medically retired police officer. I worked patrol, peer support, supplemental SWAT, and full-time police academy instructor for fitness and officer survival. And I also integrated sports nutrition, strength conditioning, combative scenario training, heart rate monitors, performance enhancement, psychology, and a bunch of other things. Because while I was a police officer, I was also concurrently a full-time college strength conditioning coach, first at Yale when I was a cop in Connecticut, and then at Georgetown when I was a cop in the D.C. area, where I also did sports ministry. So I'm kind of a weird guy. I'm a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and have a background <laughs> in a bunch of different things. That's awesome. When did you start the academy? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date you now, so... <laughs> Um, 2000 was my first academy in Connecticut and up there at the time, I don't know what it's like now. It's a six months in the barracks, paramilitary. You live there. Oh, wow. Oh, I can't imagine living there. Yeah. And I did two, my first two years of undergrad were at the Air Force Academy. So I already did the boot camp and the military school. So having to live in the barracks for six months with a bunch of stressed out police recruits (laughs) was uh interesting. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. So so how many years did you actually do in the in law enforcement? About nine. So okay. about two in Connecticut and about seven in the DC area. Okay. And medically retired. I'm sorry to hear that. Gosh. And you're so so now what do you do in life? What is your everyday mission? It is helping all first responders and veterans, but obviously primarily police officers with wellness, peer support and chaplain type stuff. Um, But again, I'm kind of a hybrid because a lot of people may talk to me about things that have nothing to do with religion or spirituality. It might be talking about police training, Mm -hmm. but those things build rapport. And then if they have stress issues or whatever, then they feel comfortable reaching out to me. So I'm officially a chaplain for one department and also a PTSD treatment facility, uh, first responders first is in the mountains north of Los Angeles. And it is a, like a luxury resort, basically, 
where it's only for cops, firefighters, and medics to deal with mental health issues and or substance issues. Oh, it's called what? First Responders First? First Responders First. And oh, wow. just so people know, you can you can go there from anywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. They work with either your private insurance, your work comp, and God forbid there's like battles going on. They try to make it so nobody pays a bill. Wow. And, I've never and, even heard of that. What? How? So hold on a second. Let me think. If someone wants to go there, can they self-refer? Do they have to be referred? Yeah, just call. Look you it up on the, on the internet and you'll call and you'll talk to somebody named Austin. He's the only person. Everything's confidential. And they will work their butts off to get you in. And so what kind of facility? Like talk, like, talk me through this. What, what is it like? Like, say, like, I wanted to go check myself in. It looks in. like a mansion in the mountains. Wow. <laughs> so oh it's totally God. isolated. And you get your own bedroom, luxury. There's a pool, a hot tub. You can work out. There's equine therapy. You can hike in the mountains, ride quads in the mountains. I mean, I wish I could go stay out there. That's what I tell them. I wish they had an extra. Well, room I was just going to say, can I can I go? <laughs> I mean, well, what, and, what and to be honest, not not joking. Part of what I want to do, and what I'm doing with a team of people, we can't do it because of COVID. Is there is treatment facilities like First Responders First. There's another one called Warriors Heart in Texas, and also here in California, uh, Simple Recovery has a first responder only program. There's also free retreats. Um, they're Boulder Crest, Save a Warrior, the Sparta Project, and Warriors Ascent. If there's more and somebody hears this, reach out because I'd like to know. Those are five to seven day retreats for first responders and veterans where you go do yoga, meditation, journal, small group sharing, uh, prayer labyrinth, art projects. Um, there's therapists. Those are cool, too. But the thing is, is. First responders first and those retreats I just mentioned are all for people after they have PTSD, Mm -hmm. you're popping pills, you're drinking, you're going through a divorce, you got in trouble at work. And the, I want to do things more proactively because even peer support and mental health professionals, we wait until first responders are completely in trouble. Yeah, and then we try to help them. So Mm -hmm. there's a story I heard once on a CD from my favorite theology professor who actually helps on these retreats. And he was talking about some other point. Um, But the story is this guy's fishing and in some in some rough stream, then somebody is coming down the stream drowning. So he takes his clothes off, jumps in, saves him. A little bit late, the crowd's cheering. Look at this guy. He saved this person. Somebody else comes down the stream drowning. So he takes his clothes off again, dives in, saves him. Third person. And you can go into more details. Well, a fourth person is coming down the stream drowning. And instead of jumping in to save him, he starts walking upstream. And the crowd's like, you're not going to save this person? He goes, no, I'm going upstream to find out why in the hell all these people who don't know how to swim are ending up in these terrible rough oh, waters. Right, good idea. And it hit me, this is what we do in law enforcement. We know you're going to be swimming in rough waters at some point in your career. Mm-hmm. You're going to get tossed out of a raft without a life vest and be maybe be close to drowning or smashing into rocks. We need to give you swimming lessons, psychologically, <laughs> emotionally, spiritually, mm-hmm. in the academy, in your FTO, annually. And it can't just be a couple PowerPoint slides of don't drink with your cop buddies. <laughs> right. Don't have sex too much. Right. And don't buy too many toys and work too much overtime. Right, like, right. That's not training. Exactly. That's a, that's a little tidbit of advice once in a while. That's yeah, you're right. You're right. That, that yeah, that's that's a good that's a good analogy. I like that. Go upstream, figure out why these people keep jumping in the river if they don't know how to swim. Yeah, I like that. And so what you can do, you go up river and you put signs in the academy. Hey, rough water's ahead. <laughs> Absolutely. You're going to have to use violence on people. You're going to see children and elderly and animals that are neglected, mm-hmm. abused, murdered. You're going to see accidents that are ugly. You're going to be angry at people that victimize these innocent. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to have all these motions rather than suck it up. You want to be yeah. a cop? You yeah. just got to suck it up. Absolutely. 
It's terrible. You know, what's interesting is when I, when I applied to be the crime scene investigator in my department, you know, I guess you just gloss over the fact that it is going to be sad and it is going to be emotional and it is going to hurt to the core. You just think of, oh, it's going to be so fun and interesting and just like the TV show and, and I can do it, you know? So you sign up and you go in and you're like, okay, here I am now I'm a CSI officer. Like all of a sudden, just because, just because you have this new pin on your uniform now and it says CSI mm-hmm. and I'm driving a different car now that I'm just supposed to have this different kind of defensive shield, you know, over me or with me. That's not the case at all. You know, you, you mentally think, Oh, I can do this cause I'm CSI. No, you can't. <laughs> You're no different than you were the day before. You're going <laughs> to respond to a triple homicide and it's still going to be ugly and gory and disgusting and hurtful and, I mean, I don't know why, but human beings just put this false sense of security around them. Like, oh, okay, I'm a cop now. I've I've got this certificate. I've got the gun. Um, it's day one. I'm I'm good. You know, I'm I'm okay mm-hmm. now. It's weird. so. Yeah, you're right. All, all academies need to have need to have that, and they need to have it like once a year. Like even if it's just an eight hour day, just a refresher course every, every single year. So what our, what our plan for a bit, so I have a one, I have my own ministry nonprofit that I haven't started fundraising for, but I need to create. Tell me about that later. Cause I want to, I want to be, do something with you. Okay, go ahead. Awesome. We're also creating a larger nonprofit. Uh, me and Dr. John Becknell, father, Jim Clark, some police psychologists, uh, Jeremy Wade, who's peer support for Seattle PD and super knowledgeable guy. We want to have free retreats and one-day workshops for officers. So say you do a three- or four-day retreat after you finish your probation period. And we're not going to do PowerPoints. We're, you can't get in shape physically by looking at PowerPoints of, this is how you eat right. This is how you exercise. <laughs> right. You got to eat right, exercise, stress management, sleep. So we used to do retreats on Orca Island up in Washington, for instance, where you get a cabin in the mountains. It's like along the ocean, you're immersed in nature and you're just with other first responders and you do a little, you know, talk on different topics of making meaning of these stressful things you see as a first responder. Then you get in small groups and you share. Mm-hmm. We do, you know, some yoga, some meditation, acupuncture, nature walks. Um, there's therapists there if you want to do that. There's spiritual directors there. People may not know what that is, but you know, clergy or even people like myself, that's a certified spiritual director that if you want to talk about spirituality and psychology and the things you see, but we de- try to destigmatize and normalize, hey, this mm-hmm. is part of the job too. Mm-hmm. I-, I do want you to do more fitness, firearms, defensive tactics, and scenario training. Because let me get that out there that law enforcement doesn't get enough of that training. They barely get enough. You see ugly things cops do. It's not because they're racist. It's likely because they hardly have any training. But just as much as you do that type of training, you need to take care of your emotional, psychological, Mm -hmm. and spiritual training. Mm -hmm. And it's not done on a PowerPoint. You have to experience it. Right. So if there was a retreat that you could go to once a year or every couple years and one day workshops that were tune-ups where you go and do some writing exercises, a gratitude journal, some breath work, learning how to regulate your stress. Tai Chi, Qi Gong. There's all these different things we can do for stress management, self-regulation. Um, and we need cops to experience that, to learn how to balance all the adrenaline, all the excitement, and also the negativity, the misery of others. And right now for cops? Oh, gosh. <laughs> my, you, media, social media, politicians, mm-hmm. your kids' teachers at school, yeah. at college. Oh, yeah. Mom and dad are racist. They're murderers. They're bad people. Mm-hmm. I mean, the st- and people are getting death threats and they're scared mm-hmm. to use force if it's the wrong color suspect because mm-hmm. I might get charged with a crime. I know. And what are we doing to help them manage that type of stress? I like that you called it a tune-up. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Because what do you do when you own a car? You, you don't just drive it and drive it and drive it into the ground. You get the oil change. You get a tune-up. You rotate yep. the tires. I mean, come on. 
Everybody does that on their car. All these guys that have motorcycles, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to change the tires once in a while, do the oil changes. You do the same thing with your lawnmowers. I mean, women, we do the same things with our homes. You know, we keep it clean. You, mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Great analogy. And I'll add one more point because this is what we do as cops. And even though me and you are retired, I'll still identify us as cops. What happens when a police officer's engine light goes on? Check engine light. What do they normally do? Well, I would just turn it in for service and drive a new car. <laughs> well, not not their police I'm a girl. car, but myself. Well, oh, 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 your own car. Personally. Oh, if it was my so own So your car? personal life, the check engine light comes on. Cops take a black piece of electrical tape and put it <laughs> over that engine light. And then they mash the gas pedal to the floor. Let's drive it harder. I'm going to take some overtime shifts. I'm going to slam some beers. I'm going to buy another Harley crotch rocket, Uh a lifted Raptor. I'm going to put a lift kit on so I have to work more overtime. Uh So I don't have to deal with whatever the check engine light's on for. Uh I'm going to numb and distract myself from going to the mechanic. Uh Whether that mechanic is a therapist, clergy, or just trusted mentors, elders, you know, a retired cop that's really grounded and a good empathetic listener. And all of us need friends in our lives, whether they're cops or not, that can listen without giving unsolicited advice and won't judge us and give us that typical, hey, man, you just got to suck it up or don't worry. All these stupid things with the greatest of intentions people say. Yeah. Rather than just listen. Just listen. Yeah. Don't you don't even have to have advice. Just sit there and listen. So healing. I mean, I could tell you so many stories of cops and firefighters. What you know, in these different places that I work doing peer support or chaplain stuff, where sometimes I just ask a couple questions, and because I'm a former cop and they trust me, they will unload and stuff that they didn't even tell the therapist. And then the next day, they're like, oh, my God, I ate so much food last night or I slept in. And thanks for listening. That's awesome. I didn't do anything. I wasn't doing clinical therapy. I didn't give them any advice. They just felt like they were heard Mm -hmm. and they were not judged. And they unloaded. And, you know, ancient tribes used to do this. There's some good books by a psychologist, Dr. Ed Tick. He worked with and still works with primarily Vietnam veterans and veterans, but I've been on retreats with him. One of my partners, Dr. John Becknell, worked with him for decades. And he has books that talk about our ancient warrior tribes and how they had balance to, all, you know, you go to war, but when you come home, there's things you have to do to heal, nurture yourself, and the community should be involved, which is difficult right now for cops. Mm-hmm. And when you go to war or you're on duty as a cop, we go through all this adversity, but those things that we see are are possibilities for emotional and spiritual weightlifting. Our friends and family might see something once or twice in a lifetime that we saw twice in a week. And even though it's sad or angering or difficult, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, if we digest and process it, there are lessons to be learned that over time we can become more compassionate, more emotionally intelligent, and more empathetic to other human beings that are suffering or struggling. So we really have opportunities to grow as police officers if we were to have more training emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and we have to destigmatize the therapy thing. I don't want people waiting until they're going through the divorce and popping pills or drinking mm-hmm. too much yeah. and go to a yeah. therapist. Yeah. And thank God there's some agencies that have what's called blind billing, anonymous therapy. You can go to a therapist and the department never knows what cop went and it's totally paid for. So it destigmatizes it. Your boss will never know. Your peers will never know. And then you don't have to worry that it's going to be related to fit for duty or, you know, you hear that people are fearful of opening up because, hey, I want to be a detective. I want to be CSI. I want to be narc gang. But if I get help, are they going to think I can't hack it? Yeah. When I would like to say, that's the smart person. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the person that you want in that job because they're taking care of themselves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So tell me how you got into this. Like why, what got you into the, be a a police chaplain and why are you a, post-traumatic stress disorder advocate? Like where, where did that come from? 
Oh, I'm wondering. Well, as far like I explained the upstream stuff, I don't know what the right title is for me, but I want to try to help cops before it ends up with the PTSD and focus more like on that what's called post-traumatic growth mm -hmm. or the hero's journey, Joseph mm -hmm. Campbell. Let's grow through the adversity we face. Um, well, that'll go back to a longer story short, why I became a cop in part, the short version. I thought I wanted to be a federal agent or a psychologist or a priest at one point. Mm -hmm. And then I did an internship at a place called Storm Mountain Training Center in West Virginia, where I trained with a bunch of special forces and SWAT guys from around the country, around the world. And the federal agents that came through were not the studs. They couldn't shoot and fight. And I was like, oh, my God, it's not like the movies. Some of these guys are dorks. <laughs> Same with grad school. My first master's is forensic science. And there was feds that were dorks and just cared about waving the badge around. And the street cops, the SWAT cops and the enlisted special forces guys, like I looked up to them and I you know, got along with them. So I was like, wow, I don't want to be a fed. And hey, if I want to be a psychologist or in ministry someday, what's the best way to learn about people? Because my mom and dad are still married, don't drink, don't smoke. Man, if you become a street cop, what a way to do ministry. People are going to be hurting. The criminals, the suspects, the victims, people are in crisis, a chance to love on and respect people. So I was like, this is a way to learn more about psychology, spirituality, do ministry, and yes, I wanted to put on a uniform with a team because I played college football and coached college sports. So I can do my ministry and learn more about psychology and spirituality through experience. And I can go out the boys and, of course, try to go lock up people and have fun, <laughs> be an aggressive, proactive cop, and try to eventually someday get on a SWAT team. So that's how I became a cop, thinking or believing that it's a great way to do ministry. And so while I was a cop, every day I literally woke up excited, like, God, what opportunities are you going to give me today to help people? It sounds cheesy, probably, or like. Not to me. <laughs> but I mean, that's I have... what I, tr I truly believe that. And then I, you know, somebody told me I should be on peer support. Another cop that was fairly religious because our peer support, I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of it because my first two departments didn't have it. But he's like, you know, peer supports a lot of older women that work admin jobs or day shift in like the yuppie areas. They don't get in fights and pursuits or pull their gun. And then mm -hmm. they get dispatched to the districts that are busy yeah. and they don't have street credibility. And the joke is they show up trying to give you a hug and saying it's okay to cry. Yeah. And people yeah. are like, yeah. I get that. Okay. Yeah. So we worked the busy district. And he and people knew that I was like a coach. Some people knew that I was a coach at Georgetown. I look like a meathead. So I have some street credibility. And eventually I made supplemental SWAT, which gives you some credibility, too. Um, so I was heavily involved with peer support. Um, and also in my district, at least. I got used when victim services couldn't show up. Chaplains couldn't show up. You know, dispatch knew that I was kind of that guy. My boss mm -hmm. knew I was the guy. They'd be like, Matt, you got to go do this death notification. You got to go do this. Hey, but if it's something that other cops don't want to do and they know they're not good at it, they're awkward. How critical is it to be sensitive and caring and attentive to somebody with either a death notification mm -hmm. or any other tragic news? Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's fun, but it's an honor in a sense to be there with people in some of their darkest hours. So I did all that. You know, that was a big part of being a cop. I loved the action and the, the adrenaline and the excitement. And I loved trying to love on people and take care of people. So I get medically retired and my game plan is to become a psychologist. I went and got a second master's in sports psychology, which is about performing better under pressure, stress management, um, self-regulation, because I didn't want to be somebody that focused, again, kind of like now, I don't want to focus just on psychopathology. You're broken. You have this clinical diagnosis. Yeah. Now Now that you're drowning, that's helping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to do the sports psych masters first, which I did under Dr. Ken Revisa, who's considered like one of the grandfathers of sports psychology, amazing man, and big in a humanistic psychology um, and yoga and self-regulation. And I got to take some MFT courses. 
And then I was going to do a side to your PhD. And when I finished that master's, I got a new work comp caseworker. And there's a longer story that I went from this fit, healthy strength coach and just made the SWAT team guy to tons of opiates, muscle relaxers, benzos, all these gnarly drugs with all these surgeries that went wrong. I hadn't seen a doctor since college for football injuries. I didn't know what these drugs were. My best friend on the SWAT team, who also was a narcotics guy previously, picked me up and saw everything I was on. And he's the one that told me, because back then it was more illicit drugs as on patrol that you're used mm-hmm. to, but since yeah. you're a narc guy, he knew all the pills I was on were deadly and in bad combinations at the highest wow. doses. And so I start asking doctors questions and it's like, you find out a lot of work comp doctors. And now I also volunteer for Wounded Blue. It's an organization. Oh, okay. I know all about them. Yeah. Okay. Randy Sutton helps yeah. Wounded. You, you need to watch some of my, listen to some of my podcasts. I just okay. had um, an officer. Yeah. I just had some an, an officer on there and uh, Anne Marie, the one that got shot in the face. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's on my podcast. Um, okay, no, she's you gotta start listening, at. honey. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, with yeah, the, yeah. this isn't just my story. This is veterans and cops. You get hurt, they shovel the opiates, the psych meds, the muscle relaxers, yeah. the sleep meds because it's cheaper. Get yeah. a surgery, take drugs. Mm-hmm. So I moved to California at the advice of my psychiatrist in the D.C. area, amazing woman who had. And even back then and on the East Coast, she had a nutritionist, a massage therapist, a yoga instructor in her psychiatry office. So I did Uh meditation, talked to the nutritionist. And she told me, Matt, you need to move to Los Angeles because I was fat. If I showed you a picture, you wouldn't believe (laughs) it. it was me. My immune digestive system and endocrine system had collapsed in part from internal infections, in part from being over medicated. Mm -hmm. So I see holistic, functional, integrative doctors out here that cost a lot of money because they don't give me drugs. They help me with nutrition. They give me vitamin IVs. They balance my hormones. I used to see a chiropractor that did active release therapy, deep tissue. You go to physical therapists that spend the full hour doing tissue work and stretching and manual work on you. Mm -hmm. And I see a psychiatrist that does neurofeedback, which is doing like Star Wars meditation where they measure your brain waves. Wow, that's cool. And I do talk therapy. And the work comp wanted me to take opiates and psych meds to save them money. And ultimately, I didn't want to do that. So it turned into they cut off my pension, disability pay, and medical care for three and a half years. And we went through six levels of court all the way to the state Supreme Court. Wow. So I did not get a PhD or PsyD because I went to selling all my belongings, emptying my Mm -hmm, bank account, mm -hmm. and in a gnarly legal battle. So... Down the road, eventually, why I didn't become, why am I a chaplain now? I got a full ride for a pastoral theology degree. Nice. I did that for myself and to do my own work. Mm -hmm. Healing still from retirement, then healing even from the stress of the work comp legal case. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, you wanted, you loved being a cop. You would do anything to be a cop. You get retired. The stress of people going through a medical retirement or trying to get medical benefits, it's horrific. And we hear these stories through Wounded Blue time Mm -hmm. and time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even cops that get shot in the head. Yeah. You know, they try to deny your benefits. It's so stressful. That is crazy. It is. So So that's your motivation, obviously. Yeah. Everything everything you went through is your motivation. Yeah. So I can't be a well. I have three master's degrees. I also did an additional two-year spiritual direction school, which is sort of like grad school light and more immersion, spirituality, psychology, pastoral care. I am so burned out on school and I'm broke. I live week to week (laughs) in my pension. The thought of going back to grad school, even for an MFT or an MSW, (laughs) I'm just too burned out. And honestly, another stressful thing, when you're in grad school, even theology, I had professors that hated cops. Oh, that's not good. That told horrible stories that were lies about oh my the immigration issues or the abuse or the racist issues. Wow. And I would politely try to speak up and get yelled at wow. by theology professors. So that's horrible. And I know somebody that's part of our nonprofit, I won't even say which MSW, pretty darn good MSW program here in Los Angeles. 
she's wide open that her goal is to counsel police officers and be a part of a nonprofit that puts on proactive retreats for police officers to help go upstream and teach them to deal with all the nice. horrible things we see. Love it. Love it. But she puts up with crap. Like yeah, her class. I bet. I bet. You know, so I bet. It's a tough world for people that even support cops right now. Yeah. So that's how I became a chaplain. So now yeah, that I have awesome. a master's in that, I, uh, and who knows, maybe it worked out better. God's always got a bigger plan. If I was a therapist or a psychologist and had an office, I'd probably be busy mm-hmm. only because like right now, when I have to refer people, it's hard to find therapists and psychologists that cops, firemen will trust mm-hmm. yeah. and that are culturally competent. Right. So, hey, out there, anybody that's close to retirement and thinking about grad school, <laughs> LPC, MSW, MFT. If right. you are a police officer and you want to go to school and be busy, become a therapist because we have tons of people that would love to see you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so, hard to go. It's hard as an, to be an officer and to go to a therapist that's, that doesn't understand anything about the cop world. I mean, it's really difficult to talk to that person. It, I, I get it. I get it. So let's take a really quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about peer support, like what it is. Let's define it and talk about the importance of it. Okay. 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 We'll be right back. All right. Are you interested in CSI or forensics? The Forensic Science Academy program has been recognized as the premier training program completely dedicated to students who are launching their forensic career. The Academy offers specialized hands-on training modules in basic and advanced crime scene investigation, forensic photography, fingerprint identification and classification, crime scene management, and coroner investigations. Instruction is offered in the form of weekend workshops, online courses, webinars, and seminars. Training at the Academy of Forensic Science will give students the competitive edge employers and agencies are looking for when hiring. Past graduates are now working as crime scene investigators, private investigators, forensic pathologists, coroner investigators, forensic nurses, forensic accountants, and even criminalists. The courses are taught by forensic professionals who are experts in the field and hold membership in the International Association for Identification and other professional forensic organizations. For more information, visit ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Again, that's ForensicScienceAcademy.org. There is so much more to a police officer's badge, to any badge, that all first responders wear. But that's what the world sees, a badge. What's behind and beyond that badge is what people need to know, the person. In the book, Behind and Beyond the Badge, Volume 1, award-winning author Donna Brown takes you to those places that few see. First responders have opened their hearts and shared what it's truly like to do their jobs, their favorite parts of the job, and their toughest career-defining moments and the impact it has on their families. They're human just like you and each faces all that life has to offer, good and bad. Included in this book are law enforcement officers, firefighters, EMS personnel, 911 dispatchers, crime scene and forensic technicians, and victim advocates. All what Donna Brown calls her village of first responders. So this book, along with volume two, are perfect for those who are thinking about becoming a first responder, those who have family or friends who are first responders, and those who want to know more, and for those who are suspect of the law enforcement profession. So go to amazon.com right now, grab the books, volume one and volume two, Behind and Beyond the Badge, written by author Donna Brown. You will not be sorry. All right, we're back with Matt. Now let's talk about peer support. I was on peer support in my department as well, only for a couple of years, but I really enjoyed it. Um, we had we had civilians and we had officers, and they were from everywhere. Like you, you mm-hmm. just talked about the peer support that it's just admin and it was just women. We our our support peer support in Sacramento, California, in the department was literally 
everyone, cops, non-cops, people from patrol, people from CSI, people from the jail, people from everywhere. That way, it, you know, if someone, well, it just gave it, it just gave the person who needed to talk to somebody a pool of people to, to grab mm-hmm. from. You know, you don't want to go talk to somebody. Like you said, this person works in an office. They have no clue what cops do. You, you don't want to talk to that person. How are they going to give you advice? How are they going to understand what you're going through? So yeah. peer support, what is it? Tell me what you, how you define it and why it's so important today. Well, first I'll clarify, just in case somebody ever listens to this that I did peer support with. We did have a variety. I'm just saying the negative stereotype is, oh, oh somebody's okay. going to show up, want to hug me and tell me it's okay to cry. Oh, okay. We, okay. We did have the variety and so so do many departments I know. But even in the departments like the one I worked for, even if I was on peer support and knew that there were good people that m- were good cops too, too often it also takes if you have one or two people that aren't respected or somebody that's a gossiper or somebody that doesn't have street credibility, it can ruin the reputation of your whole peer support unit. Mm. So can a bad chief or bad command staff, because if people do not trust the leadership in an agency, mm-hmm. they're going to think peer support or any contact with a mental health professional is going to end up related to fit for duty or throwing me under the bus at some right. point right. or not helping with a promotion. So that's right. a big problem too. You better be so careful about who's on your peer support. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if your command staff and chief are not respected, it could undermine the whole peer support program. Yeah, they've, done, they've done surveys, my friends that are in the peer support world, And well, this year is totally different animal. The racial tensions and all this social political stuff, hating cops is the number one stressor. But typically in a cop's life, it's not the hot calls or the traumatic calls. It's having supervisors, command staff, or a chief that will throw you under the bus. When you have bad leadership, that's what stresses cops out. And and also if you have a district attorney, that wants to charge cops but won't prosecute criminals, that stresses people out. And if your city council or your county board of supervisors is anti-cop, defund cops, that's mega stress. So those types of things can hurt any efforts with peer support as well. That's true. Now, in in my peer support in Sacramento, you had to apply. You had to have uh, a letter. I believe we had a letter from like our captain or our commander. I can't remember now, but you, you had to jump through hoops to become a peer support member, which I think is a good idea. Oh, absolutely. You, you, you can't just have some, you know, like a brand new person out of the academy that wants to be, you know, a peer support. No. Like, Hold on a second. You, 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 you don't have enough experience on the department yet to even know, you know, how to, how to even listen, you know? And again, mm-hmm. it's not talking to people. It's listening. It's active yes. listening. It's so important. Yes. And it's knowing how to refer, knowing where to refer, when to refer. Yeah. (laughs) Do not try to be a therapist if you are not. Exactly. You are not. Now, I have my master's in marriage and family therapy. I remember. But but that is not what peer support is about. If Mm -hmm. someone were to call me, well, let's let's just turn it around on me. So so some of that, and you're going to read my book. I'm going to send it to you. Like on one of those calls, let's just pick a call, the triple homicide. If I wanted to talk to somebody, which I did, it's not going to be somebody that's just out of the academy who has not been to a scene before. I'm mm-hmm. obviously going to choose somebody who's who's done that job alongside with me or talk to another CSI person who was there at the call with me. That way mm-hmm. they can understand what I am going through. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I... I don't like it when people say, and, and I know the listeners out there are going to agree with me. I don't like when, when you're talking to somebody and they go, oh yeah, I totally understand what you mean. And you're like, what do you do? What, what do you mean you understand what I'm going through? No, you don't. You don't Psych always- 101, things yeah. not to say. You don't always have to say that. You don't always have to say, oh, I totally understand what you're going through. No, you don't. Do not say that to, to people. <laughs> I can't stand that. And one of, the, one of my biggest pet peeves is also like when somebody when somebody passes away and you go to that person and say, oh, but they're in heaven now. They're, they're in such a better place. Don't you even let those words come out of your mouth. No. Not at all. 
people say things like that out of their own discomfort. Most often, we are well, uncomfortable when people also, are talking about their yeah, pain. We're also trying to make the person feel good, which sometimes you're not going to make that person feel good. That's not what no. you're there for. That's not what it's not about. You will not be successful in making that person feel good. Just sit there, shut up, offer them water, <laughs> gum, food. Honestly, when I went through my peer support training, which was, I think, 40 hours, maybe 48 hours. I can't remember now. I mean, literally give them water, gum, food, mm -hmm. a blanket. I was like, wait, what? Are you serious? <laughs> like, no, that's for real. Like when they come out of a traumatic experience, those are the, those are the basic things they need at that moment. Yeah. And just to know that you're there. You don't have to say a word. Anyway, I'm taking over the podcast. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's all right. You talk. I, I didn't mean to go on that little tangent there. We're just talking about peer support in general. And I think you're talking about very important things. I think there needs to be way more training because 40 hours isn't enough. And the most peer support training I've been through is more death by PowerPoint, not enough immersive stuff. Well, I was just going to, I can't reach my binder, but I was going to go look at the binder and see. Maybe it was two weeks. I can't remember, but we were doing scenario after scenario after Good. scenario. Go. that's good no powerpoints <laughs> i mean i mean minimal powerpoints you had to get to learn it but i'm talking you were in it and you were doing scenarios and talking to people and it was amazing if there's any retired cops out there listening some of the best peer support training i've ever had is through cop line the crisis line cop line hey, i have them on my website stephanie samuels is okay. a amazing therapist out of New Jersey. That is every cop would love her. Okay. And they do a 40 hour training for retired uh -huh. cops. If you're going to uh -huh. answer the hotline oh, and they okay. do a lot of scenarios, a okay. lot of scenarios. It's right. some of the best peer support, if not the best peer support training, even though it's not peer support training, I consider it very helpful. Um, What's her last name, Stephanie? What? Samuels. Samuels. Okay. I'm just going to write that down. Okay, Copline. Yeah, I have Copline on my website as someone to call mm -hmm. with Staple now. And yeah, peer support is so important. I, and I, I'm not going to tell people out there to not go to a therapist and go to peer support instead. I think it is important to go to a therapist because they are trained in different, different you know, like cognitive behavioral therapy and things like that. But I think that peer support well, I shouldn't say this. <laughs> Everyone's gonna gonna come back and say you, you said this wrong. But in my opinion, peer support is more helpful because it's again, it's a peer. It's a it's a person that has gone through it. It's a person that truly does understand what I'm going through. If you have the right people, and if even you if you have people. peer support, a lot of people don't even have peer support or access to a mental health professional. Right. right. So that's a problem. Peer, and that's peer. why. I wish there was more nonprofits, not just my little ministry and then the bigger one we're trying to create mm -hmm. to do retreats. Mm -hmm. I wish more people in our communities that supported law enforcement would get behind maybe police associations and get people in the community that support law enforcement and say, what do we need? And create more nonprofit type peer support organizations. Because mm -hmm. here's another thing. A lot of the agencies, if, if people think they can't trust their peer support when they call cop line or they call or I, they work with me through wounded blue or me mm -hmm. as non-affiliated with their agency. They feel the confidentiality is much more trustworthy yeah. and nobody in their chain of command is going to find out, Absolutely. you know, and there's, yeah. there's none of that stigma. So yeah. sometimes having outside resources could be better. And I wish there was more of them. Like I said, I listed all those retreats, but those retreats have waiting lists and that's for the drowning people. Wow. Yeah, you're right. So the big thing with peer support and some agencies now like NYPD, I don't know anybody personally there, but all the suicide problems there, they're doing more proactive wellness. Seattle PD was doing, I don't know, now it's a little more yeah, difficult yeah. because they're in the middle of all this, uh -huh. but they had Jeremy Wade goes out and talks about stress management, sleep dis discipline, the effects of substance abuse. They had a full-time officer that's like a jujitsu competitor. So there's, you know, a resource for more defensive tactics training. Another peer support member that was a strength is or was a strength and conditioning coach, exercise physiologist. 
These are the more proactive preventative things, which also helps destigmatize peer support. If mm-hmm. peer support is only for, oh my God, they come to you after a trauma <laughs> right. or if you have PTSD, well then a lot of cops don't want to be affiliated with that. That's but if, if peer support is proactively doing more defensive tactics, more fitness, more help with nutrition, a stress tune-up. management, the tune-ups. Yeah. Time then, to get your oil changed. <laughs> yeah. Well, then there there's less stigma. If I go talk to this officer, it doesn't look like to everybody else. It means, oh my God, you're weak, you're broken. You right. need this or that. Because peer support is also helping us improve our fitness, our tactical firearms, our defensive mm-hmm. tactics, our, you know, our healthy balance, our lifestyle stuff. So people need peer support. I believe every agency should push for it, even the small ones, or maybe they need to create regional peer support teams. Mm -hmm. But I would like to see more upstream proactive wellness included in peer support. So we are not just reacting to officers that are in complete crisis. Because even the debriefs, I've been involved in a lot of debriefs. If there's one person on your squad or that event that you don't trust, you're not going to open up. Oh, I know. I know what you're talking about. I've been to tons of those. If there's one boss that's a prick mm-hmm. that somebody yeah. doesn't like. Yeah. Yeah. You can't talk. Nope. You're right. Yep. So we all need peer support, but I think we need outside nonprofits. And I think we need the more proactive stuff too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huge believer in that. And then I mentioned on that one podcast you listened that I was on, mm-hmm. my idea of if most, or I don't know, both academies I had to do were six months, but I've heard there's shorter ones, maybe in more rural areas or whatnot. But if you have a standard six months academy to check the box for your post-training or whatever your state's, this is all the liability stuff. We're barely going to train you, but we're going to make sure that we covered our ass. If you mess up, we're going to throw you under the bus because we'll say on day 32, PowerPoint slide seven, you got trained. Nah, you did not get trained. Right. Do your six months, including all your basic firearms, defensive tactics, evasive emergency driving, um, and your firearm, firearms, defensive tactics, fitness. The last two months, this is my pie in the sky dream for law enforcement. Make it a national standard. The last two months, Monday through Thursday, every day is a tactical firearms. When I say tactical, I mean, we're not just shooting paper. We're shooting steel to get auditory and visual feedback. So that's trained you to shoot a lot faster. Mm-hmm. We're doing shooting and moving, shooting, moving targets, shooting in adverse weather, shooting in different light conditions, not just stress-free shooting paper. Mm-hmm. We're going to do defensive tactics every day, and we're going to do a strength and conditioning session every day. So Monday through Thursday, you're working out, you're shooting defensive tactics. And in between those, we might journal, do breath work, do yoga, do Tai Chi, do small group sharing. So you're doing the alpha male, female stuff, the aggressive warrior stuff. You're doing the self-care stress management, taking care of myself. And then every Friday is a full day of stress inoculation scenario training. Oof. Two months later. Already. <laughs> yeah, but two months later, you have eight full days of stress inoculation scenario training. Force on force. You might get punched in the face with your red man or high gear suit. You're going to get shot with some munitions. You're going to learn how to deal with that before you get on the street, because I don't like working with people who've never been punched in the face or even shot with some munitions, because unfortunately, those are the people that sometimes escalate the use of force more than necessary because they're panicked. Mm -hmm. When you have cops that are super fit, super into their BJJ or other martial art and are super confident in their shooting. They can communicate better. They can de-escalate better. They can remain calm under pressure and make better decisions. There was just a shooting in San Bernardino that blew up on social media a few days ago. An officer went hands-on with somebody, took them down. They were twice as big as them. The guy takes out a gun that most people would not have seen. This guy's in the middle of going hands-on, fighting, sees the gun, creates distance very athletically with a quick draw, and puts four rounds on target. Most cops, I think, would have not seen the gun and could have been shot, wounded, or killed in that incident. And I saw that, and I'm like, there's a highly trained cop that's most likely has done things outside of his agency, Mm -hmm. or he's prior military or was a college wrestler, something. 
We need more cops that take all of those things very seriously, which is why liability wise, instead of cities burning down and a nation being torn apart from incidents that may appear to be ugly. And of course, they selectively show the video they want. Mm-hmm. Of course. Lead, you know, yeah, there would be less ugly things on video if we had two months of fitness firearms, defensive tactics, scenario training, and a bunch of stress management and self-care things that you learn experientially. You want to talk about liability, invest the money and training up front versus payouts. Even when it's a good shooting, what is one of them was recently, what, 12 million they had to pay out? Yeah. And it was a justified shooting. Yeah. How much training could $12 million pay for for that city? You're right. You're right. I was just going to say, we have to have this kind of training. We need the budget for it. But just like you said, they, they paid out 12 million. They could have just used that money toward the training and avoided all that and avoided all future incidents yes. as well but, to save but money in the end. Staff and your chief and your city council and your board of supervisors doesn't understand training. Mm-hmm. So if people get in, you know, up at higher levels that were not the aggressive graveyard cop, Mm-hmm. or the narcotics cop, or the SWAT guy, what you know, they don't understand training. When you tell them we want a budget, we want more defensive tactics, more firearms, and we need to do scenario training. This is going to reduce liability. No, 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 no. Let's do some PC PowerPoint <laughs> on not be a racist. Guess what? Warning, <laughs> if you hired a racist, you can't PowerPoint it out of them. <laughs> you made a big mistake. So I think there's a big problem with reactive payouts and lawsuits and many other things that could be implemented into training that would prevent so much stuff. And then if we're talking about psychological, emotional, spiritual well-being, the officer that's better prepared is most likely probability wise to make less mistakes and be more resistant to some of the aftermath of I should have done this. I should have done that. I didn't make this happen. You know, or sometimes it's, you know, the violence that was acted upon you could have been prevented if you were better trained or in better shape. Mm -hmm. There are definitely shootings. Fear of the unknown. Yeah. If you experience it through a scenario, then you, then you know it. I mean, I know it's not really happening, but you're still experiencing it. Your, your whole entire being, every sense is dealing with that. And, yeah. and and sponging it up, and then you'll you'll be able to react better. Yeah, I agree with all that. Yeah, if you know, it just popped in my head. You know, you, you know Dave Grossman, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, you can't just read his books. People that are higher up read his books that talk about a lot of performance psychology, scenario mm-hmm. training, breath work. Implement that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Evan Gil Martin's book. Emotional survival for law enforcement. Uh-huh. That's okay. probably that's probably one of my favorite books of all time. That was given to us. That was given to every deputy in my department. Every single one. We have about twenty two hundred deputies. That's awesome. Yeah. But here's the thing: his book outlines all our problems. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But what are the agencies doing other than hey, here's the here's that's the warning sign. Here's the book. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. What are we doing? Hey, let's look at his book and how do we, what's an action step to address this point? And we're going to do training other than a PowerPoint. He's a dynamic, amazing speaker and he's speaking Mm -hmm. less now, unfortunately, but still you can't listen to him for eight hours and be like, Hey man, I'm a better officer. I'm going to live a better life. They need help implementing the things he talks about. And you know, there's a, I can't remember what third book popped in my head. But anyways, information doesn't change us. So, quote, training needs to be experiential. Yeah. We need to invest in it. And if in those two months, if we added that two months, that's where you get a chance to practice a gratitude journal Mm -hmm. or a journal for the calls that bothered you, like the way you created your Yeah, yeah. Hey, I get home from a shift and this bothers me. I journal about it. And then in a ritual sense to let it go, I shred it. I burn it in the fireplace. I yeah, burn see, it in the fireplace. I wish I would have had all that. I wish I would have had all that knowledge going through my 15 years of CSI. I wish I would have yeah. had that. You're right. Because I waited until after I retired and, and moved. And I thought, oh, you know, it, it, I'm done now. I don't have ever have to deal with it ever again. Mm-hmm. Wrong, 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 wrong. I was so fortunate that I did this 
what's called spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. So few people know about it, um, but it's an ancient tradition where you, uh, they're often clergy, but I would find clergy that were also therapists or psychologists. And you go and talk, I would go talk, talk to them about things I saw. And for me as a believer, like, where is God in this? And so you get things off your chest, but they also, because they're trained in spirituality and or psychology, they teach me new tools. This is how you reflect on this. This is how you do a ritual on this. Go out and find mentors that will be able to help you learn how to proactively deal with the things you see on the job. Go to go get some free jujitsu, boxing, Muay Thai, like every martial arts school other than COVID's going on offers usually a week or two weeks free. Go take a bunch of free martial arts lessons. Find one you like, even if it's once a week, do it. Find if you have to pay your own way to a tactical firearms course where you do some shooting and moving and shooting on steel for a day or two or three, once a year, twice a year, do it. Don't think it's you're a wimp if you do yoga or try Tai Chi or journal or try art classes. Let's please destigmatize this stuff. More cops and firemen die from suicide than in the line of duty. Mm-hmm. And our poor veterans are dying, you know, from suicide more than they do in combat. And a lot of it is we are saying or we have this hang up that if you do any of this, quote, soft stuff, you're weak or you're broken. If you go to therapy, you're weak or you're broken. We got to fight that stigma. Man, if you want to learn how to play an instrument, there is so many brain benefits to doing that and stress benefits. And it could be a spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. If you like some form of artwork, do that. Even if it's doing artwork based on things that work that bother you, get it off your chest. Finger paint with your kids. (laughs) Hey. Uh, Yep. Whatever floats your boat, yep. there's so many things that we can do to take better care of ourselves and to balance all the sharp edges of the job, mm-hmm. you know? I agree. Wow. You have given us so much information today. Thank you. <laughs> it's been wonderful having you on. Thank you so much. I appreciate all of your time. And I really do hope that you get your nonprofit going because it sounds amazing. It's up. I just haven't done any fundraising. I can oh, send you. Oh, okay. What's what? Tell everyone what the name of it is. Is there a website that we can go visit? Well, I'm, I'm technically an ordained missionary for Global Associates. Okay. So I don't know if you search my name in Global Associates, if it'll come up. I can send you the link if you can attach it to this. I can okay. send you the link. I can t- attach it to If anybody to the show wants to donate, oh my God, even $5 a month would help me. But it also explains my background because I have a pretty varied background and also some of my future plans other than the retreats locally in Los Angeles. I want to raise money to put on free fitness, defensive tactics, and firearms courses. But we're also, hey, you're going to have to hang in there and we might do some small group sharing and grill some ribeye steaks after. But I want to do some manly stuff Mm -hmm. and also have a weekly meditation, silent prayer. And womanly stuff. Yeah. Excuse me. Sorry. (laughs) Women, obviously, are totally allowed. Alpha male, alpha female cop stuff. And then also, I would hope to integrate some meditation and yoga and opportunities for that and hope that if guys and girls come to the jujitsu and the shooting and the lifting, that maybe they'd be open-minded enough to come to a meditation one. Especially, you know, there are meditation instructors that are like former Navy SEAL special forces. I'd like to get guys like that. Yeah, in this yeah. area, we have a ton of famous UFC fighters, and some are very pro-law enforcement. Wow, cool. You know, get some high-speed SWAT, special forces, shooting instructors, um, and do events like that with small group sharing and eating some red meat. And then have <laughs> another group that's for meditation and sharing mm-hmm. that maybe eventually more people would you know, come to if they trusted that we were cool enough with the shooting, the fighting and the fitness. Yeah, that sounds amazing. All right, everyone, I will have that up in the show notes, that link to the Global Associates. Thank you so much, Matt, for your time. Thank you for your service. Thank you for doing what you're doing right now. You're very much appreciated. And good luck. Good luck with everything. Thank you so much.
If you're struggling with thoughts of suicide, you don't have to be alone. You can make a confidential, safe call now at this phone number, 206-459-3020. Safe Call Now is a confidential 24-hour crisis referral service for all public safety employees, all emergency services personnel, and their families. Again, the number is 206 459 3020. You can also call Copline at 1 800 267 5463. If you're not a first responder, you can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1 800 273 8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. You don't have to be alone. The Real Life Podcast was recorded and is being made available by Anchor.fm and its affiliates solely for the informational and entertainment purposes. The information, statements, Comments, views, and opinions provided and or expressed on the Real Life Podcast are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers, and are responsible for all show content and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the agencies and communities that the guests may serve. Some parts of the Real Life Podcast may contain adult content intended for people who are 18 years of age or older. Please listen responsibly.